Welcome to the Line Cool Podcast. A tennis show presented by Hector and Toby. Hello and welcome to episode eight of the Line Cool Podcast. Toby, how are you doing, mate? Doing very well, thank you. Just spent a beautiful day out in the sun watching the Pro League hockey down at Lee Valley. Um, it was fantastic, really good fun. Really looking forward to the French Open starting tomorrow. Lovely job. Couple beers in the sun. That sounds like what we're doing at Wimbledon this year, isn't it? Talking about Wimbledon. So um, we <laughs> talking about Wimbledon, right? We've got a lot of biggest news in tennis at the moment, isn't it? It really is. the. It's funny, the, the French Open is about to start tomorrow, and yet we're all talking about Wimbledon. As we covered last week, um, there were rumours that the ATP might be taking ranking points out of Wimbledon this year, and that's exactly what they have done. Um, so we have a statement from the ATP here. We're just going to read a little excerpt of it. Um, the ability for players of any nationality to enter tournaments based on merit and without discrimination is fundamental to our tour. The decision by Wimbledon to ban Russian and Belarusian players from competing in the UK this summer undermines this principle and the integrity of the ATP ranking system. It is also inconsistent with our rankings agreement. It is with great regret and reluctance that we see no option but to remove ATP ranking points from Wimbledon for 2021. So this, in effect, has relegated Wimbledon to the status of an exhibition tournament, the highest paid exhibition tournament in the world. This is massive. This has never happened before. Personally, I'm pretty disappointed with this decision by the ATP to strip the ranking points from Wimbledon. It's taking politics into tennis too much, in my opinion. It feels like the ATP have made this stand as a way of fighting back against the slams in what seems, well, not what seems, in what is a battle that they will never win due to the power and the size and the, the pull that the slams have, especially the biggest one of them all, Wimbledon. Now that they have removed the ranking points, like you said, and it is for all intents and purposes just an exhibition tournament, do you think players will skip Wimbledon now that it doesn't carry any ranking points? Or do you think the prize money and the prestige of winning Wimbledon will be enough? To, to be quite honest with you, I, I don't think the entry list is going to change much. Well, the entry list has already um, happened. So and the reason why it's been decided now is because the entrance into Wimbledon has to be made six weeks before. I don't really think it will for the top players. So for the top players get granted automatic access into Wimbledon. Um, I don't think that will change a lot for them for a couple of reasons, purely because there's no other events running alongside Wimbledon, except for a few challengers. Wimbledon still remains the most prestigious tennis tournament in the world. You can still have the chance at winning a Wimbledon title, which is what these top players want. Whereas players outside the top 100, 200, lower in the rankings that don't really make it to Wimbledon unless they get through qualifiers, they need points, they need money, so they won't be going. Yeah, I, I like you said, I think there are certain players or who this impacts a lot heavier than others. Um, I think in terms of players who have the most to lose or now that they've decided to strip the ranking points, I think people who are top of that list, uh, Novak Djokovic, he will now lose his number one status as he will lose all 2,000 points from last year. He definitely won't be world number one after Wimbledon. Matteo Berrettini is another one who could stand to not only fall out of the top 10, but could fall as low as number 22 in the world if he doesn't defend his points at Queen's and Stuttgart. On top of the 1,200 he loses 
for his appearance in the final at Wimbledon last year, as well as not being part of the French Open this week. Both Denis Shapovalov and Herkatch also stand to lose their semi-final points from last year. And players like those two, alongside players, I would say, such as Dimonor, Felix Auger-Aliassime, you know, players whose style of game offers them an edge on grass, I think they're really missing out on chances to either climb the rankings or solidify the points they had acquired last year. So I think those are also players who are suffering as a result of this. Um, but on a slightly different note, similar to what you were touching at earlier, players who are going to feel the effects of this the most are probably lower-ranked British players. These British players, you know, a lot of them, Wimbledon's probably the only Grand Slam in the tennis calendar that they all be a part of in, in, in the main draw, be it through a wild card or be it through a familiarity with the surface and being at home, having the home support and being have a better chance of getting pre-qualifying in that way. So, you know, these are value, valuable points for these players ranked maybe what I'd say 100 to 300 um, that they won't be able to bank on this year as well as those points that they acquire at Wimbledon they also set a platform for them to be able to have entry into other tournaments throughout the year. So for players like that, this is actually something that, that heavily impacts them as well. Um, and also, like you said, the, the, the money perspective, I, I could still see them playing because it is, it is quite a lot of money and it would help support themselves and their families, especially when you're, when you're scratching for that sort of money when you're outside that top 100. Just just getting into the the main draw, a first round loss is around fifty thousand pounds, and and that player sort of grinding it out on the challenger tour that can do so much. Just getting into the into the second round, that's that's double double the money, hundred thousand points on offer in the first, you know, few rounds. But I suppose ten, it would be a lot ten, for a lower ranked player. Ten points, I think it is. Ten is points. The first round, yeah. yeah, and then forty five, ninety. You come through qualifying as well. So for players who only finish on maybe. You know, if, if say like you're 200 in the world, or whatever, you probably only finish on like um, two, three hundred ATP points by the end of the year. You know, so it's not like you know any like points make all points make a big difference, don't they? Really. Let me also cast your mind back to Wimbledon 1973. You remember that one? Jan Kodes, the winner. It was actually the last time that ATP tried a similar power play against Wimbledon. Um, where 81 male players, including 12 of the top 16 seeds, boycotted the event over the suspension of world number one Yugoslavian Nikola Pilic, who had been banned by his National Lawn Tennis Association for refusing to play for Yugoslavia in the Davis Cup. But the result of the, the tournament being boycotted by all these players, Wimbledon recorded its second highest ever attendance to date. Even though there was 81 male players, 12 of the top 16 who didn't, who said, "I'm not, I'm not playing, I'm, not, I'm not turning up," they still recorded their second highest ever attendance. I mean, it just really illuminates the power of the slams, especially Wimbledon, and shows, you know, in a way that they're bigger than just tennis tournaments. Uh, you know, they have real non-tennis appeal in terms of their ability to pull people in and for people to have an interest in the tournament. For a lot of people, Wimbledon is probably the only tennis they watch all year, especially here in the UK, would you say? Oh, de def definitely, definitely. They're not going to be sat at home and saying, oh, mate, I'm not going to be watching this um, this third round tie here at Wimbledon because, you know, 
this player here might not get enough points to, to crack in the top 100. Like, that just isn't on the mind of a lot of people watching Wimbledon. They're watching Wimbledon because, you know, this is the time of year where I'm going to watch a bit of tennis because it's fun, it's Wimbledon, it's a good atmosphere. In that response, I think it is only really hurting the players rather than the message the ATP is trying to send to Wimbledon. is It's just not going to win. It's a really, really difficult decision because it, I, I can understand the point of view that both Wimbledon and the All England Club and the ATP are coming from. Um, I can understand Wimbledon from when they when they first made the decision. I can understand that. At first, I didn't really, but when I actually thought about it, I could. Um, and I can also understand where the ATP are coming from, trying to make it fair for all players. Um, and I feel like it's been a reactionary measure that the ATP, that they've been forced to make this decision because they feel like it's the only decision they could make. I think it's a shame that it's, that it's come to this, actually, because it's going to have such a massive a massive impact impact on the rankings in the tour. Um, and uh, yes, it's just, it's just a shame really. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see how it unfolds and how it actually feels at the tournament as well, because we'll be there. Um, yeah. Having, having been there a couple of times before, um, it'll be interesting to compare the feel, the excitement. I, I don't actually think it'll be very different unless, uh, a lot of change between now and then players pulling out perhaps or, or unforeseen things happening. I don't know, as you say, um, yeah, players pulling out. Um, but I, I just think it's a shame. And obviously if, if Wimbledon didn't do this in the first place, they'd still have their ranking points. Everything would still be normal. But as you've mentioned in previous podcasts, in order for, for things to, to change people have to be brave and you have to make decisions i think the point of view that the atp was on is that they want to regain some power and stop grand slams from making unilateral decisions just like the french open did in the year of covid when they said we don't care what anyone thinks we're moving the date to october you can change the the calendar around us it's, it, it is definitely a shame that it has come to this but i'm glad we didn't have stuck to their guns in my eyes it's still the correct decision and like you said, I guess we'll just have to find out when we're there. When we're there in person on that first Friday, it's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it a lot. And I think from a fan's perspective, I don't think too much will change. I think it will still be fun. But the main issue will be if, if players start to pull out. Shall we move on to the French Open preview? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. It's the 126th edition of Roman Garros this year. It's Established in 1891, quite a few of those. Uh, what percentage Rafael Nadal has won at Thane? It's got to be a lot. Um, so it takes place at the Stade Roland Garros in Paris every year. The defending champion is world number one, Novak Djokovic, coming back from two sets down against Stefano Tsitsipas in the championship match, which was a really great match. It actually lasted over four hours. The draw, I thought, was very interesting uh, because I think looking forward to the tournament based off the European clay court swing so far this year. Me personally, I probably had three people who I would think these people would win. I'd probably add a fourth in there who I wouldn't be shocked if they won. But apart from that, I didn't have anyone winning. But those top three have all been put into the same half of the draw. So I think that really opens up the bottom half of the draw for someone to come and stake a claim because they'll be 
kind of feeling like, oh, I've got away a bit lucky here. Obviously, we're talking about Djokovic, we're talking about Nadal, we're talking about Carlos Alcaraz, all three of them in the top half of that draw. Stefano Sitsipas would be that fourth player who I wouldn't be shocked if he won. But now, I think, in my opinion, he he doesn't really have an excuse to not be the real odds-on favourite to meet one of those three in the final. Oh, one, 100%. He has to make it. He has to make it to the final there, really, doesn't he? I just, I think an interesting thing will be um, how the mentality of that affects him. When all of the top players are on the other half of the draw, it's suddenly like, oh God, I have to get there now. It, it, it could be, it could go one of two ways. It could go, right, this is my opportunity. I'm going to smash it. Or, oh no, I, I'm, I'm a, bit, a little bit scared now. I, there's too much pressure on me to make it. But I think what will happen is I think he'll deal with that pressure well because he's been evolving and better, more complete player over the last yeah couple of years. So similar to our previous tournament previews, this one, again, we will go through each quarterfinal. We'll explain who we think is going to make each quarterfinal spot through the eight brackets of the draw, uh, give some background, provide you with plenty of juicy stats, and then we'll work our way through our quarterfinal, semifinal, and lastly, final predictions, who's going to take home their Roland, Roland Garros crown. So starting Lovely at the job. top Let's of the it. draw, Hector, who have you got making that first quarterfinal spot? I don't really think this is going to come as as much of a surprise. I have Novak Djokovic in my first quarterfinal spot. He's the defending champion, the only man to defeat Nadal twice at Roland Garros. Just, I can't I can't see him losing to any of any of these players in in his draw here, I mean, he's got Yoshihito Nishioka in the first round, and, and possibly a possibly yeah second round matchup against Molchan, which is an interesting one actually, um, because Molchan is coached by um, Marian Vider, who is Djokovic's ex coach. Yeah, he's he's really he's really really coming on. I mean, I mean, he ruined my um, he ruined my chances of having another another tournament prediction win, but I'll. You know, he's yeah, not much I can do about that. Cheers, Alex. Alex versus Alex. I think Djokovic is going to... I agree with you there, mate. He, The whole storyline this week is that something I alluded to last week's episode, you know, the fact that Djokovic has used this clay court season to really build himself into form and hit his peak for this tournament. You know, he started at Monte Carlo... Didn't do so great, but now he's he's acquired himself 10 wins on clay, semi-final at Madrid, title in Rome. And I think possibly this news about Wimbledon will provide some extra motivation, possibly. The fact that he knows he's going to lose these 2,000 points at Wimbo, and he's going to need to uh, preserve as many of these French open points as possible to not risk falling further down the rankings. He's going to be there full Terminator mode, really, isn't he? Blinkers on, eyes on the prize. He's going to, be, going to be ready to go. One person who I could potentially see providing an upset, it's not an upset, but a challenge, uh, Grigor Dimitrov. You know, he had a nice little semi-final run at Monte Carlo on that similar kind of slow, heavy clay. Nice little stat here. Dimitrov now has the longest active consecutive appearance streak at Grand Slams with 45. Um, this is after both uh, Feliciano Lopez, who held the record with 79, and Andrea Seppi, who was on 66 in a row, 
both failed to qualify for the tournament. So yeah, Dimitrov has played at the most consecutive Grand Slams of anyone on the tour at the moment. I, I would not have thought that as well. I don't no, know why, but I, I just wouldn't... In my head, he's only gets injured, but clearly not. That's kind of weird, isn't it? And like he's he's been he's been playing for a while now, you know. He's career high of world number three, got a masters, got an ATP finals, but he, I think he sort of felt like he was for me anyway, sort of in the in the shadow of the the big three being called, you know, being dubbed baby fed and having a lot of expectations on his shoulder. Did not expect that. That's a nice little stat. Shall we move on to the second quarterfinal spot? This one's probably not gonna come as uh much of a surprise, but I have Nadal. <laughs> He's a 13-time champion. He's won it four times without losing a set. And in 2008, final, he absolutely battered Federer and lost only four games. Um, and interestingly, out of the 13 times um, he's won the title, he was only world number one for three of those titles. Yeah, that was in 2011, 2014, and 2018. And, and of the four times he's won it without losing a set, he was not ranked world number one for any of them. Yeah, he, he could possibly, um, in the second round, again, a little interesting matchup, he could possibly play either Stan Wawrinka or Corentin Mute. Corentin Mute, the tricky Frenchman. Um, Wawrinka, one of my favourite players. I, I don't really know if I even hope that match matchup will happen because in their previous matchups, they've always been a bit of a dud. Wawrinka's won one match in the Australian Open final 2014. But Nadal was hampered by injury as well. They, they've always been a bit of a dud. How much do you think Nadal's news about Nadal's ongoing injuries will hurt him here at the French? Do you think it will be a... It's such a difficult one because as he said this year, he said, you know, he's he's not an injured player. He's a player living with an injury. And that makes me think, but Rafa at Roland Garros is just something else. Something changes about him when, when he gets here. I honestly don't think it's going to affect him a lot. And I, even if it does... I don't think he'll let on because even when he does lose, when he's injured against other players, he never takes the credit away from them. And he never really says I lost because I was injured. Until he proves or he gives you a reason to not believe in him. You can't doubt Nadal at the French open. You just can't. He's the king of clay for a reason. He's got, like I said, 13 French open titles, injury or no injury. Can't see anyone really stopping him in this bracket here. One name I've probably circled as someone to keep an eye out on, Felix Auger-Eliassim. I reckon he could probably give Nadal a good game. Um, Felix, so far this year, quarterfinal at both Madrid and Rome. Two wins against top five opposition as well. Uh, wins against Sitspass and Zverev. Um, but the thing is, on clay, he's only got one win against a top 20 opposition. Uh, which was against Sinner at Madrid. He's one and three against top 20 opposition on clay. So, yeah, he, he gave Djokovic a really good game at Rome. And it does feel like, you know, this could be a chance for Felix. With the Felix thing as well, I think the best he could do is give him a give him a good game, but I don't think he would ever pose a problem to him, especially here. Like, I wouldn't think he'd pose a problem to him on clay, let alone Roland Garros. It's not a big... A big, uh, big prediction getting Nadal in the quarters, is it? <laughs> so, third quarterfinal spot now. What have you got? So, I have Alexander Zverev. Um, you know, so he got to the he got to the final. He got to the final in Madrid and got absolutely spanked by Alcaraz. I wasn't really surprised by that, but um, you know, he got to the semis last year. 
he hasn't had the best year for him personally, but again, I don't really see much in his way. Um, you know, he's against a Austrian qualifier in the first round, Sebastian Offner, and possibly against your uh, your boy Byers, Sebastian Byers, a couple of Sebs. Um, you know, I, I think I think again he was he's sort of just been warming up for the French this this year really throughout and um yeah I think he's gonna make it I mean possibly possibly Fritz Taylor Fritz could pose a problem but he doesn't have much pedigree on on clay so I don't really see him posing much of a problem to him um but yeah so I think I think Zverev's gonna Zverev's gonna get there not necessarily much further but I think he'll get to the quarters what about you yeah, I mean, normally, if you listen to the other previews we do, I I enjoy betting against Zverev progressing. Um, but all he's done so no, far, same. all he's done so far this clay court season is just gone and proved me wrong. Really, um, <laughs> again, I mean, part of this Wimbledon backlash, um, like we said earlier, uh, if Zverev can put together an unreal run here at Roland Garros and take the title, he's got a very real opportunity of taking that status of world number one this summer. And unfortunately, he has been put in the same half of the draw as Djokovic, as Alcaraz, as Nadal. But if you look at the draw as a whole, he would likely need to beat Alcaraz in the quarters. He would likely need to beat Djokovic, I would guess, or possibly Nadal in the semis, and then probably, say, Sitzpess in the final. <laughs> <laughs> but say he does that. Say he does that. Say he, say he beats Alcaraz, he beats Djokovic, he beats Sitzpess, one, two, three. He probably deserves to be one of one after that, doesn't he? So. Oh, no, what, 100%. If, if, which he won't, if he does that, he deserves to be the world number one. For his first title of the year, it'd be crazy. I mean, the, the, Yeah, for his first Grand I mean, Slam title no as well. Yeah. I mean, I I give him not barely even 1%. Barely. Yeah, because I, I don't think the, the players he has to beat, I don't even... I think a triple bagel against Alcaraz. <laughs> well, we saw what happened last time those two played. Like, it was done in an hour. It was literally done in an hour. So what? It'll be done in, what, hour and a half? Less than that? Probably hour 20? He's just, yeah. I mean, you got looking at, but I do, yeah, I think I've got him reaching the quarters, if I'm honest. Um, you know, like you say, look at the other seeds here. You touched on Taylor Fritz. John Isner's in there, the other American. Um, mm. Someone who I saw could possibly pose an issue. Alejandro Davidovich Fakina. Um, he, yes, he, he yeah. making a run. He's been impressive on clay so far this year. He got to the final at Monte Carlo after he beat Djokovic. Um, but but you got to you got to look at his first round opponent. No, well that's, mate. You mate, gotta have a look that's, at his first what, round opponent. I was about to say he has been shafted by the draw. He really has. I mean, what kind of sick freak gives you that sort of draw in the first round? <laughs> Friend of the pod, Talon Greek Sport. That is just, I mean, you know, there's been a lot of chat in the tennis world about uh, tournament organisers and scheduling. And why would you schedule, you know, probably the best game of the tournament in the first round? That is just mental. Yeah. Like, I just, uh, it's just, <sighs> what are you going to do when you have a randomised draw, you know? No, I mean, yeah. Anyway, Either listen way, up, I'm getting listen the up. We'll get um, 
We're hoping Telon will join us on the show soon. Good friend of ours. Um, Hopefully. It's um, That'll be a great chat to have with him. Legend in the Line Call podcast cinematic universe. He actually, he actually is, isn't he? He actually I is reckon, already. I reckon... I reckon Byers is probably going to have that status as well. Yeah, but Byers actually wins games and titles, so that's probably the difference there, isn't it? Okay, all right. I, I see. I see how this is. I see how this is. Yeah. Did you say titles? How many titles does Byers have again? More than Talon Greeks was for sure. <laughs> uh, ATP, yeah, not challenges. <laughs> Hold my uh, Ezreal. Have some respect. Go on now. Hold his Ezreal. Right. Let's um. Let's move let's on. Carry on with. Let's, move, let's on. move on with the draw instead of just rinsing each other the whole time. Um, four, final four. Um, this one doesn't need much explaining, does it? This one's yeah. Pretty, who pretty who have you got, mate? This this one I'm I'm really not sure of. No, what? not much. I mean, there's not much to be said, is there? Our guy, my guy, Carlos Alcaraz, he'll make it. He is just, I mean, you know, I'm not going to bother banging on about all his stats right now. You can go back and listen to every single one of our podcasts because we already have banged on about all his stats in pretty much every other episode. You know, he's freshly rested that ankle he twisted against Nadal uh, at Madrid. He's had a two-week break after deciding to set out Rome. Let someone else have a chance of winning a title. That was very kind of him. Uh, four titles already this year. Madrid, Miami, Barcelona, Rio. Um, and he's just in insatiable form. And I can't pick against him here. It's ridiculous. Um, it, we, it's we it's honestly well, just ridiculous, mate. In the meantime, we might as well discuss the other seeds in this part of the draw. You've got Cam Norrie. You've got um, Karen Hashanov. And you got Seb Corder. Um, I mean, you know, if I'm Cam Norrie, I must be like, bloody hell, give me a break. Uh, the past three main draws, he's had to meet Alcaraz before the quarterfinal. Madrid, Rome, although Alcaraz did pull out, but he was in that part. And here at Roland Garros. Um, but, right, I mean, Norrie, he's actually never made it to the second week of a slam before. Um, so I could see him reaching the fourth round here off the back of a nice win at Leon this week. Um, you know, he got some pretty, you know, I'd probably say he's got some invaluable time on the dirt. You know, nice wins over young up-and-coming stars such as Baez and Holger Rune, both of them, who have won titles on clay this year for his second title of the year off of Dowry Beach for Norrie. Another one worth chatting about is Karen Hatchinov. He's actually got the 10th most wins at Roland Garros in the last five years with 14. So, you know, could be someone to watch out for, but, uh, I mean, there's no point in even chatting about it. It's going to be one guy who's going to get through to that quarterfinals spot, and it's Carlos Alcaraz. Yeah, uh, I have to say, mate, I absolutely agree with you on that one. Um, and interestingly... Um, Alcaraz has a one one all head to head with which player? Talon Greek Sport, that's who. In, in qualifying, about, let me just. Shut up about Talon Greek Sport, honestly. Please, no one wants to hear that. No one wants to hear that. Start, start a new podcast, okay? Start let the new me just, let Talon me just Greek Sport. I was having a little. 
Greek spear, Talon Greek spear. I was having a little look through his um, his activity, and he had two matches with Greek spear last year, both in qualifying. He lost in Montpellier to to him in qualifying, and then he beat him in qualifying for Estoril. Who's this one? Um, this is Talon Greek. This is oh, this Alcaraz. is Alcaraz and Talon oh, yeah. Greek spear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've I've got Alcaraz in there. Um, so last year he he lost in the third round to. Um, German Jan Leonard Struff in straight sets uh, and last year he actually had to qualify so he was ranked 97th at the start of the tournament he just cracked the top 100 of the ATP rankings for the first time after winning a challenger title in Portugal and that just kind of tells you his meteoric rise in just a year's time so now he's number six in the world couple of masters tournaments on the year and he's one of the favorites to win it and last year he had to qualify and lost in the third round to a 42nd ranked player. How has this happened in a year? Yeah, he he won last year. The, the last title he won before the French Open was a challenger and he won 125 points for it. This year he won Madrid his last, last event before. That was just crazy. So yeah, he's, he's, he's in my... Um, in my quarterfinals, funnily enough. And I, I just want to watch every match he plays. He's playing Juan Ignacio Londero in the first round, Argentinian lucky loser. But I, I think he's going to absolutely wreck him. I still want to watch it. I don't think there's going to be any like exciting quality of match, but I just want to watch him play tennis. What an exciting top half of the draw worth of predictions all four of ours were the same but considering who is in there there wasn't really many other ways we can go unless we've been stupid so i think really. now we're looking down at the bottom half of the draw hopefully this is where we'll maybe have a bit of um a bit of differentiation between who we think will make it through i think this is the definitely the most open side i think the yep. best matches will happen in that top half of the draw but i think this bottom half is a really good opportunity for some players to kind of come up and stake their claim and say hey this is me i'm gonna make my claim here on this big stage i think there's gonna actually be some cracking matches in the bottom half purely because of that reason you know so there's 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 people there thinking like right as you say, this this is my time to state their claim, but I think there's going to be some absolute battles there, to be honest. You know, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be some crackers, like some, some early round ones, like four, four and a half hour first round or second round matches, just because, well, yeah, gen- generally takes a little bit longer on clay as well, but I, I'm, I'm quite excited for this bottom half. Not as much as I am the top, because it feels like in the top half, you have <laughs> like two finals, possibly, you know. Um, but yeah. So, who who do, who do you have for your for your first quarterfinal position? Getting in there on the bottom half. This one is my first pick, leaving the top eight seeds. I have gone for Hubert Herkatch, um to reach the quarterfinals. Which, if you were to look at his past performances at Roland Garros, you would say, "What the bloody hell are you talking about? He's not progressed past the first round in the last three years. He's never progressed past the second round um, here at Roland Garros. But, I don't know. I think... He's got a feeling. I've got, I've got a feeling about it. I just don't... Rude 
in all fairness, he's only gone on one Geneva this week. So you're like, he's in good form. He's playing well on clay. Could this be a good opportunity for Rude to make a deep Grand Slam run, possibly. But I just, I, I have, I have her catch. I am backing her catch. Okay, I can understand. I can understand that. I um, I did that. I did that once. Went on a feeling. I'm not going to tell you how it turned out. Um, but good luck, sir. Good luck. I have Casper Ruud. Um, I actually caught the end of that final today against Xiao Souza. That was a that was a really good match, actually. Um, Souza served for it five four, and then lost in the tiebreak. But yeah, it was. It was good, and I think you know Rude just absolutely destroys it at two fifty level. He's yet to do anything massive at the bigger tournaments, but uh, I've got him. I've got him in my quarterfinals. Another sort of, I think, slightly brutal um, draw for Joe Wilfred Songa here. Uh, his last tournament, because he will be retiring after the French Open. He gets Rude, so yeah, I think he's going out in the first round. But farewell, Joe Wilfred. He had a lovely career. <laughs> um, yeah. Farewell. Good luck, mate. <laughs> um, yeah, I. <laughs> that, is, that is so lucky. You know, like I hope he gets put on like a like a good court for that because you don't want to be saying, "Oh yeah, I'm going to retire at the French Open," you know, home tournament, and then getting put out on, you know, a, a practice court to get bad by Rude. He's got to be put on a show court at least for that. Uh, <laughs> poor lad. Um, so yeah. Again, there's 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 some names here in, in this part of the draw that you just C H Seng qualifier, Zhao Souza, Peter Giovchik, Yuri Leheka, yeah, Julie Zapieri. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it, it's so it's so wide open here for, for anyone really, but I think I think Rude's I think Rune's gonna get there. He's he's had a warm up, you know, he's he's just won a little little two fifty title, but I, yeah. I think he's gonna gonna crack it. I think he's probably gonna get there fairly routinely, actually, as well. Possibly uh, Ugo and Bear might face some problems. Uh, the the tricky left-handed Frenchman in the second round, but he's yeah, better on Rude's... he's better on the quick court, so isn't he, Uber? He is. He's a really great player to watch. So I'm sort of disappointed with how how his sort of past year's been, really. You know, because he he foiled the king of ATP 500s when he beat Rublev in the the Halle final, um, but. You know, we'll we'll see. Uh, who do you, who do you have for your next one? That's probably a silly question, but who who, who do you have facing Hubert Hercatch? Yeah, final? so I've got Stefanos Tsitsipas. Um, it's a pretty straightforward one for me. Um, Tsitsipas, like I said earlier, this really is his time to shine. It's a really, really good opportunity. He would have been licking his lips when he saw that draw. When he was 100%. sat there and saw the other, the other three favourites, or the main three favourites, go in that top half. So it's a really good opportunity for him to make a run. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's not actually an easy section of the draw to get through. I mean, that opening game, for example, Lorenzo Massetti, that's not an easy game on clay. Massetti's been playing some nice tennis. Um, you also have to look at um, Denis Shapovalov, who beat Nadal last week. 
that was a decent performance for him. You can't, can't really count on him. But he's also got a difficult first-round game against Holger Rune, who's played well, although yeah. he did seem to pick up a bit of a leg injury last week at Lyon. So see how much that... What, Holger? Holger, yeah, see how much that impacts him this coming week. Alex Dimonor, Dan Evans, the other two seeds here, do I think they'll cause an issue? No. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, Sitsimas has had a brilliant year. He really has. He was the finalist last year. Can't forget that. He was two sets up, wasn't he? He was within a set winning the French Open last year. He's done some great work on clay. The title at Monte Carlo, which is probably the most similar clay court surface, like I said, to Roland Garros. Final at Rome, semi-final at Madrid. The most wins on tour. Um, but like you said his main opponent will be himself. It'll be the mentality. It'll be, can he live up to the pressure now that people assume he's going to get deep within this tournament? 100%. And personally, I, I also have him in this quarterfinal and I think he will live up to it because I, I think he's made some massive you know, improvements in the last year. And I think his mental game has been, has been part of that actually, because it's, it's just had to, you just had to wait for the, his mental and his physical capabilities to sort of marry up together for him to become a, a better player. And I think that's, that's happened. And uh, as I say, it could go either two, one of two ways. Um, either he sort of freezes and thinks, oh no, I've got so much to lose or I've got so much to win, but I think he's going to do the latter. Um, and, I think only if and when he reaches the final against whoever may be in there, that's when it will test his mettle, I think, um, mentally, because uh, he was so close to, to having the win last year. Um, and that will be an aesthetically pleasing first-round match against Lorenzo Massetti, both delicious one-handed backhands. But ultimately, I don't think Massetti will pose much of a problem. Massetti last year um, was two sets up against Djokovic, won those first two sets in very tight tie breaks, but then he was physically done and he retired for the fans in the fifth set, um, <laughs> which I kind of found hilarious. I don't know why. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't really think he'll pose much of a problem. I reckon straight sets, maybe for a push. Um, and I think Evans has kind of been shafted a little bit, actually, with that draw. He's a 29th seed and he's got Francisco Serundolo, the, the young Argentinian who um, who's a great clay court player actually uh, semi finalist at Miami this year um, did get dispatched by Norrie though last week yeah but Evans isn't having the the best time you know like the best best time recently I think he's he's probably feeling a little bit I don't know a little bit embarrassed by by Norrie as well, actually, because I think the the, the feeling from from British tennis fans was that um, you know Dan Evans having having won his first first title last year, I think um, feeling that he was going to be you know the the top the top tennis top tennis player for Britain, and then being usurped like quite rapidly by um, by Cam Norrie as well must must be hard to swallow, you know when he's only won one title Dan Evans and then Cam Norrie sort of comes out of nowhere he's been working hard for many years and wins a wins a Masters event three more titles and um, gets to the top 10 in the world and, and you're sort of just 
you know, stuck plateauing. So I think that's been sort of hard for him recently. Um, but yeah, I don't really think he's going to get much further anyway. Dominor Gaston will be quite an interesting first round match from this section. Uh, also, uh, Shapovalov and Rune or Runa. I think it's Runa. I'm not sure correctly. I don't think so. It. I think. Is it not? Think, no, sorry. I'm talking about Gaston. I think he was rubbish last week at, um, at Leon. He's, he's not in good nick at all. I can't see him doing anything against Alex Dominor. And I think it is Holger Rune. You don't think so? Is it Holger Rune? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a shame with Gaston because he's really great to watch. I mean, he beat Vavrinka here a couple of years ago, an absolutely epic. Um, but yeah, that's. I think that's yeah, it's a pretty interesting draw, actually. Um, so we both got sits pass sits pass in that one. Um, so I'm really interested to see who you've got in this next little section. Who, who, who do you have? So if you cast your mind back to a previous prediction we did, Rome... A couple of weeks ago, it was a very similar bracket where Rublev and Sinner found themselves in the same part of the draw. That time, I went for Rublev and he stung me. Uh, Sinner made his way through to the quarterfinals. So I'm going to go with Yannick Sinner. Yannick Sinner has had a decent year, I would say, so far. He has reached the quarterfinals at all three of the, uh, sorry, at, at two of the three clay court masters, both at Monte Carlo and Rome. He has decent results at Roland Garros in the past. Last year, he reached the fourth round. The year before that, in 2020, he reached the quarterfinal. Um, made a good run at the Australian as well. So he's not scared of the big stage here at the Slams. He got to the quarters at the Aussie Open too. And, um, uh, Rublev's impossible to guess. Um, he really triggers me. I really wish he was just either a bit better or a bit worse because then you could kind of gauge what he was <laughs> going to do. But at the moment, you just can't. You just know he's going to get irrationally angry and that's about it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I just think on this surface, on this big stage, I prefer Yannick Sinner's mentality over Andre Rublev. What have you got? I've I've got the exact same thing and actually the the pretty much the the exact same reasoning behind it as well you know as you say you you got you got burnt with that prediction that prediction um in rome and i think i think i predicted sinner in rome actually for for those same reasons did, i think yeah. he's he's having a bit of a i have a i don't know i probably have a harsh view of of Rublev actually to be fair I probably I probably view him harshly but I've said before you know as you mentioned he he just gets really angry with himself and he has such high expectations of himself and he he starts to he starts to lose it straight away I think he loses all that all that confidence just from before the match and from all the match wins and titles he's he's accrued throughout his title it just it just leaves him and just just filled by anger and disappointment and resentment with himself for not being better um i think that really kind of lets him down it's sad to see as well because he seems like a lovely bloke um but ultimately sinner sinner has a good record at this tournament in the the, the small amount of entries he's actually had as you say fourth round last year quarterfinals the year before beating zverev on the way um yeah i think he's i think he's nailed on to get to the quarters here i mean he's yeah not really before he's seeded to meet Rublev in the fourth round, maybe possibly Basilashvili, but I don't think Basilashvili will even get there, to be honest. I don't think he'll reach the fourth round. 
you know, maybe even Donald Cressy. Oh, that's that's just it's kind of weird that that part of the draw, isn't it? But yeah, I've I've got Sinner, Sinner in there. And sh- should I go? Should I go first for my next for the next part of it, or do you want to go? Go for it. So I have Miamir Ketsmanovic in this other quarterfinal. Do you as well? We've picked seven of the same eight players to reach the quarterfinals. <laughs> oh, mate, that's... Uh, I mean, also, like, they don't seem like obvious choices. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've gone for I've gone for Miamir Ketsmanovic. Um He's been having he's been having a great year. Um, I think he's an absolute beast. It, you know, I just I don't I can't I know I'm sort of ignoring ignoring um, Medvedev in in that part of the draw, but I just I can't really see him I can't really see him doing much. You know, he he's he hasn't got a clay court win this year. I know a lot of that is down to him being injured for most of the clay court season, but even before that, you know, he, he got to the he got to the quarterfinals last year, but that was after he had a very up and down love hate relationship with Clay, which I find hilarious, saying that it's not fit for dogs, that he hates the surface, smacking it with his tennis racket, and then saying that he loves it when he gets to the quarterfinals in Roland Garros. He is an interesting character but ultimately if he gets to the third round where he is seeded to face Mirmir Ketsmanovic I think Ketsmanovic will have warmed up by then and I think he'll beat him and I think he'll get into the quarters and uh, you know obviously there's, there's another little section of the draw as well with, with Chilich, Martin Fuksovic, uh, Yuri Vesely, Pablo Carreño Buster, Pablo Carreño Buster I can see possibly posing a few problems because he's, he's very consistent. But yeah, I think, I think Mirmir Ketsvanovic is going to play center in the quarters. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I think I can't see Medvedev making a run, unfortunately. I just don't think he's ready. He doesn't famously do very well on the clay. Um, Mirmir He's never actually progressed past the second round here at Roland Garros. But this year, he's playing at a different level. I think he's playing a really a top 20 level a lot of the time. Five quarterfinal appearances, one semifinal appearance, 11 wins on the dirt. This is his year to progress past that second round. And he will meet, as you said, Yannick Sinner in the quarterfinals. Yeah. Yeah. Let's 100%. Wrap this up. Now, now that we've gone through the entire draw, let's wrap this up with our quarterfinals, semifinals, and final predictions. I think this is actually where it's most interesting here in the quarterfinals. Top of the draw. Let's start there. What a game this will be. Fingers crossed. Nadal versus Djokovic. Who have you got? Uh, I hope. Uh, I really, really hope, mate. I really, really hope that happens. Um... So, I probably controversially, I have Djokovic winning this. Um, so, as we've spoken about before, Djokovic and Nadal, amazing rivalry. 58 matches played, Djokovic on 30 wins, Nadal on 28. Now, Roland Garros matchup, two wins for Djokovic, seven for Nadal. Um, I, this is such, such a hard one to do because one of the stupid, 
most stupid things you can do in tennis is count out Rafael Nadal at the French Open. And that's exactly what I'm doing. So the last match they played was the semi-final, which Djokovic won last year in in four sets. One of one of the best sets of tennis I've watched in my life, that third set where Djokovic won the tiebreak. They were both it's not often that you see two players playing at their best, the peak of their powers, and it was amazing. And just a couple of couple of stats from Djokovic beating Nadal and winning the French Open last year. So that's the eighth time that Djokovic in Djokovic's career that he's defeated the defending champion at a Grand Slam, which is an open era record. This was Nadal's first career loss in the semi-finals or later at French Open. Um, so his combined win-loss record is semi-final final at Roland Garros and Aslan's at 26-1. Um, and this also, this loss also snapped his 35-match winning streak at the French Open, dating back to 2016. It's the second longest win streak by a man at Roland Garros. <laughs> second longest only to his own 39-match win streak from 2010 yeah. to 2015. Yeah, yeah. I, imagine, imagine like, oh yeah, he's just lost the second... You know, second longest win streak. Don't worry, I've got the t- I've got the longest as well. <laughs> I've got it covered. <laughs> so I mean, out of anyone in the world, Djokovic has the best record against Nadal at the French Open. The only man to beat him twice. The only other man to beat him is um, Robin Sodling, which allowed sort of Federer to to win in two thousand and nine. Um, but it, yeah, it may seem stupid, but I kind of feel like Nadal might... It, I am sort of thinking about the injury here a little bit as well. Um, the injury and just sort of the energy levels that they have. I think you can sort of tell that even though Nadal won the Australian Open this year, you can sort of tell he's getting a little bit older. Um, whereas Djokovic seems, after, after his sort of stint of being a bit knackered after having... Um, time off in the tour he seems fresh now he seems ready to go and as you say I think he's just going to have the bit between his teeth blinkers on I think I think he's going to do it what, what do you think mate you make a lot of good points there and I've been thinking about this in my head for a little while now and it's a really difficult one to pick it really is a challenging game to predict I think for argument's sake because for me, it is a bit of a toss-up. But for argument's sake, I will be going with Rafa Nadal, king of clay. Mm. I yep. just feel, you know, like you said, it's a dangerous idea to count Rafa Nadal out at the French Open. And Honestly, I feel like an idiot. <laughs> you know, beginning of the year, before he went out injured, you know, there were so many times I actually did just count him out. Like, be it at the Australian Open, be it at... Indian Wells, both of those he went on to win. You know, before he was injured, he didn't lose a game. He was he was he was undefeated. And it is worrying the injury. It is worrying that he's not hit the same sort of form he was pre-injury at the beginning of 2022. But this is his home. This is where he's at the height of his powers. And as good as Djokovic is looking at the moment, and he really, really is looking good. And again, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised Djokovic wins, but I'm not going to bet against Rafa Nadal, and I've got yeah. Nadal. I've got Nadal reaching the the semi-finals. Yeah. Another another fascinating game will be the second 
quarterfinal. We both have Alcaraz against Alexander Zverev. Who do you who do you think is going to come out on top of that? <laughs> I don't. I don't think it's here. And again, I don't think it's worth discussion. It will be Carlos Alcaraz. Carlos Alcaraz yeah, is going to. I don't. Carlos Alcaraz in under an half an hour and a half. I know. I, I don't agree with that. I don't think he's going to smash him in the same sense he did at the Madrid final because there were other mitigating factors there. Um, but oh, with the sleep and the scheduling. Yeah, you know he's not he's not playing a few hours afterwards. He'll have at least a couple of days off here because of how the French Open works or I mean how Grand Slams work. But again, Carlos Alcaraz. As Zarev said himself, he's the best player in the world right now. And I yep. I, I think purely from a confidence standpoint, I can't see Zarev going into that game thinking he's going to have the upper hand or thinking he's going to have the confidence to to say, yep, yeah, I'll be able to win this. I think a lot of players fear playing against Alcaraz right now just because he is, on one hand, is a bit of an unknown because he's not been playing at this level on the tour so far. But also you have to imagine, you know, he is not peaked by any stretch of the imagination yet. He's only going to keep getting better. And if he's, you know, if you're Alexander Zverev and you just got battered by Alcaraz at the Madrid Masters final and you're thinking, oh, wait, this guy's rested for a few weeks. He's going to be probably even better than he was at Madrid. Um, yeah, i got no bloody chance. Yeah, it'll, it'll be Alcaraz straight sets. I, I think Zverev's absolutely terrified for the rest of his career. Because what Zverev was doing, he was waiting until the big three retired. And, you know, Federer's pretty much gone already, but he was waiting, you know. I'll just buy my time, probably late 20s. They'll be gone. I can start winning slams. Not anymore, mate. <laughs> and as you say, he got absolutely wrecked by Alcaraz in, in the final. And he's not even at his peak yet. He's 19 years old. He's only ranked number six in the world. What's he going to be like when he's world number one? which he definitely will be. I have no doubt in my mind. You know, Alcaraz hype train. Alcaraz hype train again. But uh, yeah, I completely agree with you. Not really much need for a discussion on that. I think no, it's going to... 2-2. Two, two. I'm ready. I'm, I'm on the train. Now we're moving on to the third quarterfinal for the second time. We're recording this episode on Zoom and we have just... Uh, finished recording or what we had thought we'd finished recording the end of this episode we've only gone and forgot to press record so yeah we're we're both we're both quite devastated right now but we'll we'll give you the best we have i'll drop in some sound effects from us realizing that we have forgotten to record oh no and now we're going to move on to this third court final I've got her catch against Sitsipas. You've got Rude against Sitsipas. I think we can probably both safely say that our one disagreeance in our quarterfinal picks matters for none. I've got Sitsipas making it through to the semis. What about you? Um, yeah, so I've 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 also got Sitsipas making it through to the semis. You know, I think um, uh, Riblev in the way his ranking has a ceiling. Uh, I feel the same way about Rude. I don't really think. I think they can get to quarterfinals of slams and semis and finals of Masters events. But I think that's sort of where it stops. I think their differences lie in their mentality. But I think ultimately, um, I think ultimately Sitsipas will win that. They've got a one, one-to-one head-to-head, uh, which Rude leads on clay. But I think Sitsipas has come on leaps and bounds this year. 
and I think he's I think he's going to make it through to the through to the through to the semis this year. Also, a savage, absolutely savage draw for Joe Wilfred Sanga in the first round against Rude. Rest in peace and pieces. Fourth quarter final. This should be a cracking match. I'm really just looking forward to watching this as opposed to anything. Um, Yannick Sinner against Miamir Ketsmanovic. I have got. I would love to see Ketsmanovic progress, but I think if you are to compare where they both are in their career progression, Sinner is the one who is ready to progress through to the semi-finals for the first time here at Roland Garros. He has three quarterfinals at Clay Masters events this year. He'll probably be disappointed he hasn't progressed further than that in those three competitions. This here is not an easy draw against Ketsmanovic, but compared to who he could have faced in the top half of the draw, probably a favourable draw. And I can just see him having the slight advantage in terms of experience, probably beat Ketchmanovic in, I reckon, five sets. I reckon this could be a great five-setter. Yeah, I I agree with you. I have both of those in the, um, both those facing each other in the quarterfinal as well. And yeah, I I, I agree, you know, where, where they are in their careers. Sinner has more experience at this level. You know, he's a, Got a fourth round here and a, a quarter final as well, where he played Rafa Nadal in that quarter final, and he also beat um, Zverev on the way there. Just has a bit more experience, and I think he's just the all-round better player. He's got a bit more in his in his arsenal and his locker. Um, not that I don't think Kesmanovic is a great player as well. He's he's made some massive improvements this year, and I would love I would love to see this matchup actually because I think they're both really exciting to watch. I think we, if we do see it, I agree with you. I think it'll be a bit of a bit of a tussle, bit of an epic. We've now got our semi-finals sorted. You've got Djokovic against Carlos Alcaraz in this first semi-final. I've got Nadal against Carlos Alcaraz in this first semi-final. Probably the three favourites, those three to win the tournament. Out of those three, or I guess in your case two, who have you got reaching the final? I've got Alcaraz reaching the final. It seems crazy. What about you? Again, we park our cars in the same garage. I have got Carlos Alcaraz, the apprentice, beating the French Open master, Rafa Nadal. He will reach the final, and it's going to be a brilliant match again. I just feel at this stage, possibly thinking about the injury of Nadal, um, and... It was only 20 minutes ago I said, don't count Nadal out at the French Open, but I think you can probably ignore that rule when you're talking about the future of men's tennis in the form of Carlos Alcaraz, someone who is just in incredible form. Um, I have got my seat reserved, secured on his hype train. I'm there. Uh, I'm with him all the way up. Carlos Alcaraz reaching the final over Nadal. It's going to be a great game. It's going to be a really fantastic game. The atmosphere is going to be buzzing in the crowd. But I've got Alcaraz in four. Definitely. I mean, actually, just a note on that as well, actually. I think with all three of them landing in the same half of the draw, I think maybe Alcaraz is even a beneficiary of that, actually. Because with the possibility and the massive probability of... Nadal and Djokovic playing each other in the quarterfinals. That's probably going to be an epic, I hope as well. I think everyone hopes. Chances are Alcaraz against one of those two who've just had an absolute epic. So he'll benefit from that in terms of 
them being tired, mentally exhausted, physically, and he can just knock them off or have an epic, more likely to beat them because of that. Um, and then play someone far less superior in the final. You know, not as much pressure in the final playing either a Djokovic or a Nadal as opposed to a Sitsipas. Is that some foreshadowing there? Who have you got reaching the final from Sitsipas versus Dinner? That is a little bit of foreshadowing. I have Stefanos Sitsipas, who has a 4-1 head-to-head against Sinner, 3-1 on clay, but it's actually been a couple of years since he lost to Sinner. Yeah, ultimately, I think Sitsipas is going gonna, is gonna to have him maybe in four sets, three or four sets. Yeah, yeah, me, me too. I feel, you know, while Sinner's been playing good tennis this year, I think Sitsipas has been on a different level. He's got the titles to back it up. He has been really, really good on clay, and that head-to-head speaks for itself, doesn't it? And this will be Tsitsipas in the final. I think he'll 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 do well to get there, really, considering the expectations because of the draw. But I can see him doing it. I can see him doing it. It'll be a Tsitsipas against Carlos Alcaraz final. Both of us agreeing on that. Do we agree on who's going to be lifting that trophy? One hundred percent. Our boy Carlos Alcaraz. It has to be. Champion. It has to be. It literally has to be. He is going to win the French Open. Carlos Alcaraz is going to win the French Open 2022. Clip that. It's not even that much of a crazy prediction now, is it? The way it feels right is the fact that it doesn't feel like a crazy prediction. And I still can't believe we're in the situation to be saying that. I wouldn't think he'd come on that quickly. Since the past will do well to get to the final, but then you had to think about their head-to-head as well. Um, Sitsipas has never beaten yeah. Carlos Alcaraz. Alcaraz has got the 3-0 lead. He's beaten him on clay, where he beat him at Barcelona. He's beaten him at a Grand Slam, where he won in five in a classic last year. But actually, if you are to compare the Carlos Alcaraz from last August at the US to the Carlos Alcaraz here at the French Open, they're different creatures. They're different beasts. Carlos Alcaraz is way better. He was Last time they played at a Grand Slam... Carlos Alcaraz was ranked 55 in the world. Now he's on the cusp of breaking into the top five. It's stupid. It's it, it, it's, it's a joke. It's it, Carlos Alcaraz is going to win. He's probably going to win in four. I, I can't see him steamrolling sits passing three. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited to watch him win. I really am. I mean, like, you know, look back past three weeks. We look back at Geneva. I had Casperu to win. He won. We look back at Rome. I know that Djokovic to win. He won. We look back at Madrid. Even before then, I had Carlos Alcaraz to win. His first Masters on clay. You were not ready for that. I saw it. I was ready for it. I was right. Three weeks in a row, I've been correct. Let's make it four. Four tournaments in a row. Let's make it lucky number four. Here we go. I'm going for my third as well. You are. Come on. Hot streak. Hashtag HS. Hashtag HSEs. That's the power of the Line Call podcast. You guys need to listen to us because although we're idiots, we do know what we're talking about when it comes to tennis tournament predictions. Yep. Yep. Most definitely. Most definitely. And you you, you also have, um, having wrapped up our predictions and draws and everything else, you also have a little bit of, little bit of news, don't you, Toby? For all you keen Line Call podcast listeners, you would have noticed that in our first eight episodes, can't believe we've had eight episodes now. This one's an absolute beast as well. In our first eight episodes, it's just been the two of us. But next week, halfway through the French Open, we will be releasing our ninth podcast, which will be an interview with a very special guest who I won't reveal yet. I'll give you one hint, former GB number two. 
So very interesting. You have lots of great insights on the life of a British tennis player. And I'm excited to hear what he has to say about the ongoing Wimbledon saga. See if he agrees with what we're saying. See if he doesn't. Listen out. Keep your ears peeled. Very much looking forward to, we are very much looking forward to sharing that with you guys. I think let's call it there because this is a long old podcast. This one's definitely recording and I do not want to record this for a third time. I am absolutely knackered. Yeah, very good. Really, really enjoyable pod. Honestly, I've actually been excited all week to um, to record this. Yeah, it's, it's been great and I, I can't wait for another great two weeks, two great weeks in tennis. Another two great weeks in tennis. Thank you so much, Hector. Good luck with your move next week. And um, I'll be looking forward to podcasting with you again soon. Here we go. Cheers, Toby. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye. Cheers, guys. Bye.